I think my brain still lives in the days when I went to school, where scouts and recruiters showed up to see a high school game and assess talent with their own eyes. But that hasn't been the case for many years, and the fact is that you and your kids might never meet face-to-face with a scout, even if they're invited to an excellent program. Welcome to the Just Dumb Enough podcast, a show that acknowledges no one is always an expert by dispelling misconceptions with real experts. I'm your host as always, Colton Petrie. My guest today is Jeff Howell. Jeff is a man of many hats, and one of those is athletic recruiting, specifically at the college level. The information is still valid at all levels, but his bread and butter is working with student-athletes attempting to get athletic scholarships. We also break down how to build a highlight reel with no experience and minimal equipment, plus the different NCAA divisions and what that means for a person looking for a school that fits their needs. Let's get scouted. Welcome to the show, Jeff Howell. Hey, Colton. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Why don't you introduce yourself a little bit for the audience? Awesome. Well, my name is Jeff Howell, and I'm talking specifically about one of my side gigs I do. And uh, I consider myself a college sports recruiting specialist. I mean, there's, there's really no title. There's no easier way to describe it other than that. Uh, essentially, parents and uh, high school student athletes will rely on me to kind of help them navigate the sports recruiting process. And there's a lot to cover. There's a lot to talk about. And there's, and there's a lot to do. So I kind of help just give them ideas of things they can accomplish on their own. Um, as with many things in life, my goal is to empower people. So not not only parents and student athletes, but you know people that work for me directly in my full-time job, my clients I have, it's all, I'm all about trying to empower them to make those decisions and uh, accomplish their goals on their own and not do the work for them. But uh, it was, yeah, so we're specifically talking about the college sports recruiting process and, uh, you know, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of uh, details to keep up with, but uh, at the end, you know, when you get a a bunch of offers and you finally make that decision, uh, it's pretty rewarding. I mean, it sounds really rewarding and you have a great Mm -hmm. goal behind it. What got you into the sports recruiting field in general? So it started with our oldest son and we, my wife and I have four kids, uh, two boys, two girls. And the oldest has always had the the dream about playing post high school, uh, either basketball or football. And uh, during the middle of their sophomore year or his sophomore year, we switched schools to a private school not too far from us. We we relocated to the city and the switch schools. And because of that, he he was really developed and encouraged in his um just his athleticism to really think about and consider playing post post high school. He he never really thought it was possible until we switched schools. Um so the head football coach over there, somebody that we knew personally, but also was was just a fantastic coach. And uh, he kind of kind of put the bug in Joe's mind and heart, like, hey, you could do this if you work at it. So we, um, at, between his sophomore year and junior year, um, well, we moved in March his sophomore year. So he had, he had that summer to go to a couple of camps. And so we checked out a few different camps. And, he, dude, he got his butt kicked. He was like, man, this, I'm, he didn't play a sophomore year. And it actually ended up being a good thing because state of Michigan high school rules say that if you move in the same uh, conference for football anyway, you've got to sit out a year. Well, because he sat out his sophomore year, he he could play right away when he started his junior year. So it ended up working out. But he had had an entire year off, which is which was around COVID. So he was really rusty. So we go to these camps, and he's just he's just not doing great. But he's learning some things. He's learning some new skills, and he's learning some some things that he can apply to his junior year and his new team. Um, so we, pro- we think we went to, I don't know, three or four camps, nothing major. But through that process, I ended up talking to a few parents 
who had athletes that were going through this process. And I was asking them some questions about what, you know, what to do. And the the two things that I learned to start off right away, and these are the things that I share with my students uh, and their parents is find any program that you think you might want to play for, whether or not you're going to, but go to their athletic website on the college site and fill out the recruiting questionnaire. And then also make sure that you've got an X profile that's fully completed and you start following every single coach you could possibly find. It makes no difference where they are. It makes no difference what state they're in, what program they're in, what level, D1, D2, D3, NAIA, JUCO, doesn't matter. You just follow every possible coach you can. And so we kind of took that to heart, had a bunch of conversations with Joe, and he's, he kind of wanted to wait until he had his first few games under him his junior year. We got some really good film, and so we put together a huddle highlight reel for him. And after that, we just started posting it everywhere on on X and started getting some, some interaction with coaches had a really good season. And the summer between his junior and senior year, we started identifying programs all through this time. You know, we were um, looking at camps to go to, we were making decisions on what kind of programs he was getting interaction with. And that kind of drove the conversation of, of what colleges to look at. Unfortunately, he got hurt. Um, a couple of games into his senior year. So he didn't actually play more than a handful of games at the beginning of the season, but he still got some good film. Um, actually got some good film with him at center, um, which is what, which is, is not his normal position, but um, he had to, he had to come in and, and fill that role. And so having some extra position film was really good for, for, for recruiters. In any case, all that to say that experience is what, drove me to start cataloging all of the attend the details and experience that we gained going through this process. So I spent a lot of time Googling, talking to parents, going to forums, um, going to Facebook pages and trying to identify how the hell we do this. And I found that there wasn't one good spot that had all of this information. And so I thought, well, look, I can monetize it and I do try and monetize this as much as I can, but really it isn't about that. It's about trying to share the knowledge that we gained to help other parents and student athletes feel comfortable, make the decision to go play post high school and figure out how to make it happen. And so that that's really what drove the interest was our experience with Joe and him finally landing at a, a D3 program in Chicago and a really good program. And he, he could have gone, he had a couple of some interest from D two D one schools, a couple of D two schools and, and a lot of D three and some NAIA programs. Um, but this D three school uh, was, was just a perfect fit. Well, and apologize for my, uh, my general lack of knowledge. No, that's okay. I've heard people say, you know, like, Oh, D one school. What exactly does mm-hmm. that mean? Oh, sure. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense, and that's a good question. So uh, the NCAA is broken up into three divisions. So Division One, uh, there's about 160-some-odd uh, member schools, and those are typically public institutions, some private, but mostly public institutions that um, have a certain level of enrollment and have a certain level of, of – um, kind of a certain level of, of their athletic program. They have different kind of facilities. They have amenities is what the word I was looking for. Um, a certain level of, of athletic amenities for their athletes. Um, they also have enough scholarship money to provide full rides for athletes, which at the D1 level, I don't know exactly how many of their roster uh, can be can be given full rides, but it's quite a few. And even some receive like maybe a mix of academic and and athletic. And sometimes that'll be how they get their full ride at a D2 level are usually again, are typically they they have, they're a mix of private and public schools. And again, it's based on enrollment amenities. And then also they, they can provide some athletic money, but typically not a full ride. Um, in some cases, I think they can, but it, they're, the NCAA kind of limits them to that. And then um, 
And then they can also fill the gaps in with, with athletic money or academic money too. D3 schools are typically made up of private institutions, some public, but not very many, and don't have athletic money that they can provide. But a lot of times, D3 programs, especially the ones that are a little bit more prestigious, like the one that Joe goes to, will identify um, athletes that are high IQ academically. So Joe ended up with a, with a 3.89. And so they were able to give him – the coach was kind of identified him as a student that he wanted on his on his roster and kind of went to the, you know, the um, admissions office and said, hey – you know, we really like this kid. What can you offer him? And, you know, so we got a, a massive uh, academic scholarship, actually, uh, to be able to play there. And then there's then there's two others. There's NAIA and then JUCO, um, junior college, then NAIA. NAIA is uh, the competition level is kind of between like D3 and D2 when it comes to um, kind of their, their competition level. But they have a lot of member institutions and they're broken up into two divisions, but it isn't based on like enrollment. This is sort of based on location and they, they have money <laughs> and, and NA, so NAIA schools aren't, and they're typically private. A lot of them are uh, religious affiliated, some, you know, Christian schools or, or whatever, but they, they have a lot of money to provide for, uh, for uh, athletic scholarships. Joe actually received a couple of uh, offers with some money and just they weren't quite a good fit. But but the, the competition at NAIA is is pretty good. So it, like if a, I always suggest to a student, like if everybody wants to have that, you know, they want to go to a D1 program, they want to go to an SEC school or a Big Ten school or, or a, you know, or a Pac-12 school or whatever and have the limelight and play for, a you know, 60,000 fans in a in a big stadium when we're talking about football specifically, but you know, that isn't always realistic. So I kind of say, look, if, if you want to play in a very competitive league and have the opportunity to have a little bit of money, but you're not going to be able to play at a D one level, look at NAIA schools. Like they have their, their education is still really good a top notch. I mean, that's, and then, you know, they have the, the potential of, of getting some you know, earning some athletic money to play. Um, and then of course, Juco is sort of one of those, levels where you can actually get full rides to play depending on the sport. Um, but they're usually a stepping stone, you know, to move on to a, to a different program. But so that's kind of how, how each of those divisions kind of break out. Gotcha. Which is very different from like the, the way that high school kind of breaks them up with the, right. you know, one, a two, a population based system. Correct. Yep. Gotcha. Cause I've heard a lot of that where, and is there an advantage do you think in, like an athlete that plays in a a 2A school versus a 6A mm. school because they have more talent around them or because they can stand out a little more? You know, um, maybe, but what it really comes down to, uh, if, you're, if you're playing at a lower level division, but you're still really good, um, your film will speak for itself, right? So you can you for say you're in Texas for instance where where high school football is you know a religion and you've got a lot of kids with a lot of good film and they play at these stadiums that rival you know college stadiums it doesn't matter uh, who you are your film is going to to speak to your skill set and yes there is a little bit of an advantage for an athlete well it could be basketball baseball volleyball you know bowling you know whatever um there is some advantage to being in a larger institution where the competition is fierce because then you're you're playing your skills against another highly skilled opponent. But even if you're at a lower level and you have it, coaches know that, right? So the important part that I tell parents who are have has ask the very same question that you did, you know, is there an advantage to a you know D one athlete versus a D five? Yes, but as long as you're sharing your content over X and you're connecting with the right coaches and talking to the right recruiters and your film is up to date and you're building those relationships with those coaches that can overcome any deficiencies that may be in the competition level. So, you know, obviously you have to talk to a lot of people doing this work. 
Is yeah. there something you usually like a misconception you have to straighten people out about a lot? Yeah. There's a lot of parents and, and kids who are just like, well, I don't want to annoy the coach. I don't want to email them a bunch. I don't want to DM them all the time. Like, listen, there is no limit for how many times you can interact with a coach, right? The higher up you go, there are NCAA rules on that, but um, you can reach out as, as often as you can. And I, I typically will say, look, don't be afraid to keep the communication open and don't get too discouraged if you don't hear from them within a week or two or like for a week or two block because either, you know, they're, it's their season and they have their busy coaching or, you know, maybe they've reached a limit of the ability, the, the amount of time that they can communicate with you and they're, they're just taking a break from that. So that's one misconception is like they just don't feel like that they should, you know, bother to coach, quote unquote. Look, man, you're trying to get recruited to go play ball for them. Like you want to stay top of mind. You want to show them that you're the best and you're one of the the athletes that they need to have on their program. And the other th- misconception is that D three isn't a very good competitive uh, division. Or um, yeah, division. Um, that's not true at all. Like there, there are lots of very competitive programs at all levels of college competition, and it ju- it really is just a matter of you know where you go. Right. For instance, here's a good example. So St. University of St. Thomas, it's a school that's in St. Paul, Minnesota, and, and ironically, one of the schools that Joe was being looked at for. They, during the pandemic, they, and, and they have, even for years before this, four, five, six years before the pandemic, they were routinely winning championships in almost every sport in their conference, football, basketball, women's volleyball, baseball, track, and there's a couple other sports that they were they were just dominating, right? And so their division of of 12 schools all met and voted them out and said, "We don't want you in our conference anymore." <laughs> um well, they they got a special dispensation from the NCAA to go directly from D3 to D1 because the Pioneer League needed another team, another college or another university. So they they jumped up, right? And their first year in the Pioneer League, they stayed at the top of the division for most of the year. And I think they lost a game or two and whatever. Now they're part of the the, uh, FCS, which is kind of what used to be the old D1A group where there's a group of schools that are still division one, but they don't play they're not eligible for like the bowl championships, like the like the you know Alabama's or Michigan's or Ohio State. They they have their own playoff system, but um, so University of St. Thomas was in that kind of in in the FC in the FCS group, and then they also played um, basketball. The opening towards the earlier this year when uh, Minnesota was opening their basketball season, they played St. Thomas, and you know. The Gophers beat them by a lot, but you know, there's still the competition was there. They didn't. They they played well. So, I guess that's another misconception is just sort of the the different levels of competition where you know you go from D three to D one and you're still competitive. So, don't sleep on some of the other lower level programs because the competition is still there. So those are the two bigger misconceptions I think that I, I talk to parents about. Like, okay, you can talk to the coaches as many times as you want. And look, the competition's there and it's good. And you just got to seek out the right program. Yeah. I mean, there's, it definitely seems like there is a, a difficulty hurdle that I think you have to get over, especially if you're being a college athlete in these situations, because it goes from, this is somebody's sport that they like to play when it's in season versus like, Mm -hmm. now you're at college and everyone that got here had a highlight reel like yours, which means they were good enough to get here. So now Mm -hmm. like there is an immediate jump and you know, it can't separate everyone so much from D one to D three either. Like every single one of them had a highlight reel. Yep. They all did. And, And some of them even, you know, some of them didn't play more than one sport. Like for instance, you know, we took Joe to a camp in, in Tampa, Florida, his senior year, spring break. And it was rough, man. It, I was junior year. He went down there for for his baseball camp, and uh, we just happened to be in the area, so we went to this camp. Dude, 
he went up against D linemen that that's all they do all year long. 12 months of playing D lineman football. And so he got wrecked, right? But a couple of the coaches went up to him and said, dude, you're big, you're strong, you belong here. It's just when you're in Michigan, you can't you can't play all year round, right? Because you got wintertime, right? And so and so in fact, at least at least in our area, we're like, we like having athletes that have you know multiple sports because it just keeps their skills rotating. But yeah, you're right. Like there every athlete that goes to these schools and are on like the you know hundred man rosters, a lot of them have similar film. A lot of them are good. A lot of them have good footwork. A lot of them have things, deficiencies that they need to overcome, which is why they have freshman year and their spring ball to work on learning the process, learning the programs, getting the strength up. You know, Joe didn't play hardly any at all this year because they the coaches know as a freshman, he has a lot to learn. Not only is he learning the program, he's four and a half hours away, brand new environment. As a freshman in college, man, that's a lot, right? So not only is it a lot just being a freshman in college, it's a lot like going to be a part of a new sports program. So coaches know that, right? They don't typically expect a freshman to come in and, and participate immediately. Again, talking specifically football, basketball, baseball can be a different, different environment. But all that to say is, you know, when you when you go in and you're going up against other athletes that are just as good as you, sometimes, you know, you have to know that you've got to work harder to get better, but also understanding that you're around other people that are in the same situation that you are, right? And so that kind of doesn't necessarily make it easier, but allows you to go into this new program, this new environment, this whole new experience knowing that there are people in the same situation well and it seems like you have to kind of you know become good at multiple factors of things because Mm -hmm. you know just being like very athletically talented you know like you said is not going to just automatically fly you into a role like you've got to have no is this like a person that you have that just captures film on all of your games or is that something a parent can do Oh yeah, that's a great question. Um, so we'll just say, all right. So there, there's this. There is a site called Huddle. There are a lot of programs that utilize Huddle to capture film. Now, football, basketball, volleyball. What are some of the sports that would use it? Baseball uses a different streaming service that captures film. Um, but the, there, there are. If your coach does it. Right. And if they utilize a service like Huddle that captures game film, but then also uh, part of the process of going back through and looking at film for a practice, he kind of breaks plays out, um, whether again, basketball, football, whatever. They'll, they'll kind of break those out while they're looking through game film. Well, then as, a, as an athlete, you can go into that game film and, and break out and pick those plays that you're a part of. And edit them all together. Now, one thing of note with the highlight reel is that sometimes there's a tendency of wanting to embellish the film by adding a lot of graphics and music and all that stuff. Not necessary. Coaches don't want that. What they want is highlight the player before the play, let the play run, and then start the next play. Highlight the player, let the play run, and go on, so on and so forth. There's nothing wrong with having like a fully high high production value highlight reel, but that's not necessarily what you send to your coaches and prospective programs. Those are the things you might pin to your X profile or you know share on social media like Facebook or whatever, and just have it there as like a sizzle reel and something cool. But coaches don't necessarily want all the embellished, highly produced stuff just for you, for them to see your skill set. If you're part of a program where either the coaches don't have access to huddle or don't record, then it's super, super simple as a parent to just use your iPhone or your Android and get like a go to Amazon and buy either a little tripod or like a handheld gimbal with a, you know, with a bracket to hold your phone and record the game or record some highlights or whatever. And then if you've got an iPhone, use iMovie that's inherently within the app, within your phone, and just splice together some highlights, right? Again, 
you can use some little you know little bits of graphics that are in iMovie and just it doesn't have to be overproduced as long as it showcases the skills of, of your athlete. So for here, here's a good example. So my my third grade, my third grader, he's eight, just started playing tackle football. His first season playing tackle football this year. And I already made an X profile for him. And my wife thinks I'm crazy, right? But he's starting off and he's eight years old and he's excited and he's got great hand, hand-eye coordination. And we work with him on basketball because I think he's really good at basketball already at eight years old. And he starts you know, basketball stuff in a couple of months. But I just use my phone at a couple of his games and I just put together a real simple little highlight reel of him just, just for fun, right? Just to have on his little X profile that obviously is locked down because he's underage just to kind of get into that habit of I, so something I can show to parents and say, look, I did this for my eight-year-old kid, right? You can do this too. And this is how you do it. So it's, it's real easy to do. Like it, it, it feels intimidating. Like if you don't have the access to huddle or, or any of those other sites like that, it feels intimidating, but really you can do it with your phone. Well, and it seems like, you know, there's a broad difference between like, oh, hey, this is my high quality fleshed out, you know, publicity reel. And that's something I mm-hmm. want the public maybe to see versus like, right. hey, this is the very cut down version that I want coaches just to see that I am right. very competent at what I do. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, you know, you, Nick Saban isn't going to look, isn't going to see your stuff. Right. Anybody that goes placing for Nick Saban. There's a different process at that level, <laughs> right? Um, so you don't have to worry about that. Just as long as you as you can clearly see your athlete and and they have they do something really cool in a game, that's all you need to showcase. Yeah, is there like anything specifically that really I think people would probably look over where they're like, oh, that wasn't very impressive or mm-hmm. you know it wasn't anything special, but it actually does like have an impact. Yeah, you know, and I think I think the well, the the athlete is really the one that can make those decisions more than anybody else. Like if they if they do something cool in the game, whether it be you know they they steal a pass in in basketball or they make a great no look assist or you know they they hit a you know they hit a basis clearing double right into the gap in the center or. You know, the, a, a certain you know in volleyball, you know the the player has a you know, has a really great ace after you know six different motions of of, of volleying, right? Or you you have a three hundred pin or, or bracket in in uh, in bowling. Like there, there's those, but then the athlete kind of knows. Okay, I did something really cool here. I I got a split spare, or I you know was in the right position to hit the third volley or, you know, even swimming, for instance, like, you know, you, you're, you're, you may not have won that particular race, but your technique was great. You know, that kind of stuff. So the athlete will pretty, will typically know like, Hey, I did something really good at this swimming meet. Can can we get that film? And I want to add it to my reel. Yeah. So just keep those open lines of communication with your athlete when you're discussing like, okay, what should we add? To, to our highlight reel, what kind of stuff did you do that was really great? Again, coaches don't necessarily always want to see the huge big plays. They don't need to see the pick six that went for 65 yards. They they want to see that you're in the right position and you played great defense as a corner, right? That That's what they're looking for. The, the, the pick six is great and it's cool to show, but if the pick six happened because your receiver fell and slipped on the turf, yeah, I mean, you were in the right position and you took advantage of it. Yeah, you can put that in there, but then also show something where you didn't you, you played great defense, but you didn't get a flag for it, right? Or you know you you were if you're playing first base, for instance, and you know you're in the right spot to to take the pickoff from the pitcher. Like those little nuanced things, coaches are always looking for because they want to make sure that either you have the skills to be a part of their program, or you have enough raw talent there that they can mold. And so those are the little things that you need in your reel. Well, that's very interesting because you're like, you know, the athlete will intuitively know with the exception that maybe pick things from like, oh, I didn't win that race in swimming or we did really badly in this game. It's like, yeah, but the thing you did in that game was really impressive. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, and because when, when you're putting that stuff in the reel, the coaches don't know the final score. 
they they just know what you did in that moment. So is there anything else that like, you know, when you're talking to players, you're talking to parents, you're like, you have got to avoid these things other than like, mm-hmm. you know, overproducing music and making it really flashy. Like, yeah. is there other things to be like, don't do that? Well, I try to look at, that's a good question, but I try and look at the things that you should do. And I think the things that the things to avoid will sort of naturally work themselves out. So here are the things and I'll flip, I'll, so I'll flip the question. I'll, I'll say the list of things I typically say that you have to do from start to finish. The first thing to do above all else is, like I said at the very beginning, identifying particular programs that you think you'd be a good fit for or that you might want to go and explore. You may not necessarily apply to them just yet, but, you know, hey, this this seems like a cool program. Um, go fill out those recruiting questionnaires, right? What that does is that puts them, puts you as a student athlete in their database that they can start, you know, taking a look at you and your skill set. Now, before you do that, like you want to do some research, right? You want to make sure that you're identifying programs that you feel like you'd be a good fit for. So, you know, if you if you find a school that's looking for an athlete of your skill set, but you know they they went you know <laughs> they went three and twenty in their last basketball season, do you really want to be a part of that? Maybe, maybe, maybe it's less about the competition and the more that you could play there, but also they have a major that you want, right? You, those are the things you need to consider. So definitely fill out those recruiting questionnaires, right? As many as, as you possibly can. They're easy to find. Just find them on the, the college sports website of that school. Uh, the second thing I always tell parents to do is, uh, is to create a profile and NCSA. Now, NCSA has a service that you can pay for where they will assist you in the recruiting process. It's different than what I do. What I do is I have parents and athletes kind of help, they pay me to help them and empower them to do the work. NCSA will do a lot of the work for you. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. Like you could be a very, very busy family that just doesn't have the time to do it, to do the process. 100% go pay them for it. That's fine. You, they can totally do that. They're a good program. They're really expensive, but if you want to do it, great. However, they have a free sort of profile builder that you want to make 100% complete because coaches use that to search for athletes that have the skill sets that you have. So you you know, you know put your picture in there. You put your huddle highlight reel in there. You put your your combine stats if you're, if you're doing football, your basic um, stats for if you're doing, you know, baseball, basketball, whatever, and um, put in like a, 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 per, a mission statement, you know, personal statement about who you are and, and why they should look at you. But the coolest part of the NCSA profile is that they have this thing where you can find institutions and you can click on the state. You can click on which division, anywhere from D1, D2, D3, JUCO, NAIA. You can even break it down by schools that have a certain major that you want to you want to uh, study, and it'll give you the results that match your search query, and then you can go to those colleges and research them and say, is this a good fit or not? It's time consuming, but it's worth it to really dig deep and, and do some more research and find out which schools are kind of a good fit, because otherwise you're just googling which colleges are are in you know Iowa. Yeah, you're just going to waste your time at that point. So that's why you want to have a profile in NCSA, not because you want to use them for their paid service, which they're going to email and they're going to call you, just ignore them. But you want to use their profile in their in their search tool. So that's the second thing you want to do. The third thing is definitely have a solid Twitter or X profile. So you have, you know, your cover your cover photo, your athlete profile picture, you have your stats in your Twitter, in your handle, in your your X bio. So like you know your height, your weight, your school, um, which which sport you play, what position you play, uh, your GPA, and either a phone number or an email or you know some other contact information. And then in the in the link part of your X bio, you want to put your main huddle account there, and then pin your latest highlight reel at the top of your X profile. And then just start following the hell out of coaches. So once you start following a few, you will start seeing 
recommended profiles to follow. If any of them are football or if they relate to your sport, football, basketball, whatever, and if they say recruiting in, doesn't matter if it's in your area, follow them. If it says head coach and or assistant coach or offensive coordinator or you know head basketball coach or head you know assistant basketball coach recruiting in X Y Z, follow them. It doesn't matter whether or not you have any interest in their program. The first reason is to just start getting some communication flowing because invariably you're going to get some DMs from um, any coach you follow that happens to see your highlight reel and then it'll be like, hey, what you doing? Hey, I like your highlight reel. Hey, here's a link to our recruiting questionnaire. Hey, here's a link to some camps that we're doing, right? You're going to start getting some of that, that, that communication and that communication is going to make you feel good. Like, hey, I'm doing something. This is This is working. I'm getting some responses. Again, it doesn't matter if it's from a coach in Wyoming and you have no intention of going to school there. At least that initial reaction and that initial communication is starts gaining some momentum. The second reason why you want to follow as many people as you can is then X will start seeing that your profile is active and they'll start recommending your profile to other coaches. It'll kind of it'll kind of ride the algorithm wave and your profile will start showing up. And as long as you've got a, a X profile that's complete, that the recruiting coach can easily just look at your stats and say, hey, I need an offensive lineman, or hey, I need a, a two guard, or hey, I need you know a first baseman. He, he might click on your profile, we'll see your highlight reel, and maybe give you a follow. Most likely they'll follow you back, and maybe they'll send you a DM, right? So you want to be active on X as much as you can. So those are the top three things that you need to do. The next thing is, the fourth thing is I have an email template that's on my website. It's jeffhowell.me, and uh, it's in the the question, you know, um, frequently asked questions page. And basically, it's a template that you can use. You can edit, obviously edit it for your sport and for your athlete, but you can email that to coaches because email is not dead. You certainly still want to email them, but you can also use that same content as an XDM because... Any coaches that have their DMs open, you can send long form content to them. It isn't it isn't limited. So you can copy that email and also DM that to the coach as well. Okay, so then the fifth thing before we you can ask another question, but I wanted to give you a top five. The fifth thing to do is uh, start looking at camps, no matter what sport you're in. Um, most of them are during the summer. Sometimes you get them in you know during the school year, but go to as many camps as you can financially and time afford. We went to we went to seven or eight camps between junior and senior year. And those camps do a couple of things. They help you identify skill gaps that you need to work on. It gets you in front of a lot of different coaches from a lot of different programs because many of these camps are attended by multiple institutions and those institutions also help you know, to, to perform the camp, um, no matter how big or how small the school is that's hosting it. And you start making connections with coaches who are looking for new athletes. So those camps not only give you the opportunity to showcase your skills, but also give you an opportunity to make connections that are super, super valuable. Well, and I assume, you know, you show up, you're going to have gaps. Like that just is part of being an athlete in anything. Yep. And right. showing up to these camps, you know, where there are coaches, or there are other recruiters, and then showing that you're willing to work on your gaps, like that is an right. enormous benefit because they will see the kids that don't want to work on it and the kids that do. And that's like a vast separation where they're like, okay, those ones you probably don't need to pay attention to. These ones definitely do. Yeah, exactly. 100%. So is there anything as far as like getting them prepared, you know, say they, they found a place it's got the major they want because they're mm-hmm. they're planning for a future that maybe isn't mm-hmm. sports related and okay. you know all these things is there something you prep them like for that first year cuz like you said it's going to be a big shock <laughs> being a freshman in college and a freshman in a you know a D1 right. school right and you know it's funny that you mentioned that now because this is something we just learned with with Joe um you know we we helped him prepare for being a part of a community and kind of help him preparing for, you know, what it's going to be like, but we didn't really, 
prepare him for feeling isolated or not feeling like he's connecting with anybody. So invariably when you go to a school now for football, it's going to be different because in football you show up the first week of August and, you know, and and you're, you're there for the entire month of August, you know, doing two a days and all that. And you're trying to not only get used to not being at home, but also being around these guys who have been through this before. And it's like, it's a lot, right? The coaches are usually good about trying to help you work through that. But if, if you play a fall sport or a spring sport, you just show up at the end of August and you just jump right into school. So you've got a little bit of time to really work on just getting acclimated to being at school and away from home and then jumping into practices and for games. I guess I would say it this way. If you are a fall sport athlete and you're going in to be as a freshman, and you jump in and you do your practices before school even starts, take the time and don't self-isolate. So try and find common ground with as many people as you can to try and maintain some connection because it would be easy. You're exhausted at the end of the day, right? You're just done. You've had you know two practices, and yeah, you've got some recovery, but dude, you're just getting your butt kicked. It'll be easy just to go back to your room and just kind of hide and get on your PS4, PS5 and just play games, right? Which you need to have that downtime, but also you need to not be isolated from everybody else. You got to maintain your connection because those relationships are going to be meaningful long term. Uh, the second thing is is really preparing yourself mentally for the grind of sport and the grind of college education um it's a lot right because you're doing lifting and then practice and you've got classes in between and then you've got homework to do you know it's a lot now most schools kind of have an understanding of during the football season or during a sports season like you don't have as many credits as you do during maybe the off season but just prepare yourself mentally for the amount of work it's going to take and and just realize that that's it and then the next thing is Really try and find some common ground outside of your sports community with some people. Now, if if you're a churchgoer or any kind of you know religious person, having that that faith community is important. You know, try and find a community while you're on campus, right? Because that that's important to have. Uh, if if you're not, that's okay. Just find some people that have some common interests. Maybe you're a Star Wars fan. Maybe you like D&D. Maybe you're a comic book nerd. You know, try and find some people that have common interests that are outside of your athletic community once school starts to have a group of people to hang out with that aren't within the sphere that's causing stress because athletics in school are stressors. So you just want to try and find a group of people that that um, you can just hang out with and be yourself. And so those are really important factors going into as a freshman, especially as an athlete, because there, there's so much expected of you and you're just going to need to find those opportunities to connect with others, to maintain some sanity and to not be isolated because isolation is, is one of the things that just allows, you know, depression and, lack of focus and self-doubt to creep in and as a, as an athlete that needs to perform and as a, as a student that needs to perform, especially if you have an academic scholarship, you you can't, you have to, those are really tough to combat if you let those things creep in. You know, going to college in the first place is very time consuming for a lot of people and it tends to take Mm -hmm. up the entirety of their life. So I can imagine yeah. adding an extra pressure to that being very all-encompassing. You're like, this is the, what consumes yeah. the entirety of my time. But, you know, you've got to squeeze in something in there that's not so high stakes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you just you just have to have that. You just have to have those things that, um, you know, bring positivity to your life that, that isn't, you know, doesn't feel like work. So now, you know, kind of the last, last step in all of this mm-hmm. I guess for that 1% of the 1% of the 1% that wants to go on to play like, you know, pro athletics post-college, 
Mm -hmm. These same kind of things. I mean, honestly, the principles have to work because that's just good principles. But is it still kind of the same if you're shooting for that next level, you know, is X going to help you much other than like, (laughs) you know, it carries your name a little further? Yeah. Um, Well, yes, but that's where the NIL comes in. Um, I think if you have a large NIL agreement, a lot of times that will help increase your brand and increase your your social awareness, you know, with, with the, I mean, obviously with the advent of things like ESPN and Fox sports and, you know, Bally sports, the exposure and all the different, you know, the SEC channel, big 10 network, you know, with the advent of all of those, the ability for, for college athletes to get exposure is, is pretty high. So while I don't have, any experience with you know working with any athletes post college to play professionally a lot of that kind of sh- takes care of itself now if you are an athlete that wants to play pro professionally um obviously you know you want to be in a higher level program d1 d2 very few d3 athletes you know make it to the pros um some some in like basketball do and uh uh, an NAIA, like Scotty Pippen was an NAIA product, right? That was a long time ago, but you know, there are a few occasionally NAIA you know players make it to the pros. But I guess what I would say is if you're if you're currently in college and you have any aspirations to play professionally, that that's a conversation with your coaches and seeing, you know, how you can uh get the attention of of professional sports recruiters. I mean, the combine is obviously a big, a big place for that, but those types of things kind of work themselves out. No, I mean, that makes total sense. And like I said, that is, it is such an extreme minority of the people that will ever play sports that Mm -hmm. like, I think that is lost on a lot of people. It's not like, Oh, well I played in high school and I was very good. And then I played in college and I was pretty good. (laughs) Like that's not cutting it. (laughs) No, no. And the funny thing is that I have this thing. um, So I, I, I have this stat where there are, there are about 2 million or so high school athletes that play football, right? At any given moment, according to the NCAA. Um, that's from, it's a, it's a nine-year-old stat, but, you know, it's, it's still fairly accurate, right? So if you rack up both, you know, D1, D2, D3, NAIA, and JUCO for, we'll just say football, the, there's, there's only a 10%, 10 to 12% chance that you're going to play post high school, right? And then of course beyond that, playing professionally is a fraction of a percent. Especially when you're dealing with, you know, small roster sports like basketball, right? You've only got 13 to 15 guys on a roster, right? So anyway, that's just, you know, there's certainly nothing wrong with having those aspirations and those goals. One hundred percent. If if you have any hopes of of playing professionally, like my eight year old son, he wants to play in the NBA. Great. I want to do everything I can to help him, you know, and I don't want to discourage him, you know, but you also have to be realistic too at some point. Be like, eh, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I'm good, but maybe I'm not. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not Timberwolves good. Maybe I'm, I'm Washington Bullets good <laughs> or Wizards now. Yeah. Washington Wizards. No, I mean, I think that's great. And I, I have appreciated your time so much. This has been yeah. awesome. I was hoping to get, you. you know, some time for you to just say like where people can find you if they're looking to reach out or find your templates or anything like that. Sure. 100%. So you can find me just at my website. It's jeffhowell.me. All of my social links are there. Up in the top menu, I've got links to um, X and Instagram for the college recruiting. Um, I've got an About Me page that has my personal accounts. Um, on the website, there's a you know frequently asked questions or a common questions page. The link to the email template's there. And then finally, um, I have three different ways that I help athletes and their parents. And I even work with schools too. So I've got three different ways. The first way is I have a, a seminar that I can do in person or I just come to your school. Uh, usually athletic directors make that decision. And I do a seminar <clears throat> seminar um, within, with a group of parents and their athletes and kind of go through the, the whole process of how this works. I have a self-paced course that you can purchase that will give you access to a video that you can have forever. And even when I update it, it gets updated for you and you can take it, you can pause it, you can write notes about it, you can do all kinds of stuff and you have access to it and refer back to it anytime you want to. 
to kind of help you self-navigate the process with some guidance, you know, from the, from the course. And then the, the third way is I've got a partnership program where I come alongside you and show you kind of what we did, kind of go through the course, but more kind of a, a, a partner program where you have access to me and we have conversations and I, I observe and help guide them and empower them to do this work. I don't do it for you. Um, I show you kind of what we did and I give you guidance and tips and tricks and steps of what to do. Um, and I just kind of watch and observe and kind of help guide. So those are, those are the three ways that, that I can also uh, help further this process for them. Awesome. It's all on my website, jeffhowell.me. Fantastic. And that'll be in the show notes if people are looking for it. Jeff, thank you again for being here. This has been awesome. Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate it. This is the last episode of the year. I can't believe we're already here. And my brain is so unprepared that I'm rhyming, apparently. Anyway, the next episode will have a 2023 retrospective, including a look back at this last year as a whole. If you want that and another episode in the same week, let me know with a quick email to dumbenoughpodcast at gmail.com, since I know it's probably not everyone's cup of tea. The final-ish December rankings are number one, the United States, still led by New York, Oregon, and South Carolina. Number two, the United Kingdom, led by England but followed closely by Scotland. Number three, Germany, dropping down a spot but held up by Berlin. Number four, Canada, with Ontario dominating every other province. And number five, New Zealand, beating Australia in a total upset right at the very end. That's it for this week, this month, and this year. Have a great week, a great weekend, and I'll see you all back here next year for a new episode. Until that next episode, please, pretty please, do all of those things that help the show grow, like rating, reviewing, liking, and subscribing. Remember, you can reach out to dumbenoughpodcast at gmail.com or on any of the social media pages if you want to reach me personally. Merry Christmas, and stay dumb.